0: Hi, welcome to The Cottage. We are a lively outpouring of an exciting adventure into God's riches and glories in Christ Jesus. We really work to activate an excitement for the kingdom of God as it is in the now until it comes into its fullness. We invite you to our sessions to explore the heights and depths of God's love in a fuller bandwidth. I'm Dr. Ken, the pastor of a small independent church seeking to return to the Lord's zeal in times where apathy and lethargy rule the day of the complacent. We try to shake things up and offer a temporary home as we travel this sod until we reach higher ground and connect into the everlasting life from above here on the earth as it is in heaven. For more information, you can email us at thecottage at dken.cc That is thecottage at d-k-e-n dot cc. Hi to the cottage where we continue our series on Sacred Spaces with part 2 tonight. We had a number of technical difficulties in this episode and we're going to try to get you as much of it as we can. We apologize for all that uh, happened and we were unable to get you a proper message but we fought through and we hope that you enjoy learning about Sacred Spaces in the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your house, in your presence. And we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And we just pray your many blessings upon us that we might understand your word in a fresh and powerful way and what you want to do. And so speak to us, Father. Speak to us in a way that we can understand. Help us to know what you want us to hear. Thank you for being who you are, and thank you for taking us from where we've been to where you want us to be. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. We started a new series on Sunday on sacred spaces in the Bible. Maybe I should explain what is a sacred space. So I'm trying to teach you some things. I know I do a lot of preaching, but I need to do some teaching as well so that we can understand things. So sacred space is a scholarly term. To break it down really simple, it's it's pretty much where heaven and earth meet. Where heaven and earth meet. Now, we have to realize that the Bible was written not to us, obviously, but was written centuries ago. Okay. Centuries and centuries ago to ancient people. And we have to realize how they think. So they understood that all life came from God. And so when they encountered life, when they encountered life, they knew that that was the presence of God in their midst. Okay. And so the idea is to give you an idea. We went through this on Sunday. I showed you the tabernacle and I showed you the temple. And I showed you, we talked about the tabernacle and the tent of meeting. Those are two ways where God commanded the children of Israel, when they came up out of Egypt, they went where? From Egypt. Where did they go? I keep repeating myself, so let's go back again. In Exodus chapter 3, when God called Moses, what was the first sign he gave to Moses? In Exodus chapter 3. This is why I need the colors up on the wall, but it's not working tonight. What was the first sign? Burning bush? At the burning bush. Moses goes up and sees the burning bush, and God says, I'm going to give you a sign. The first sign he gives him. You don't remember. Okay, that's fine. I'll remind you. He said, you're going to bring the children of Israel back to this place, and they're going to worship me on this mountain. Most people remember the leper's hand. Most people remember the staff turning into a snake. You guys apparently don't remember any of those things. When's the last time you saw the Ten Commandments in Charlton Heston? <laughs> it's time to dust that off. Is that on Roku or somewhere? So we can watch that. Okay. So most people remember those dynamic things. But the actual first thing he says, you're going to bring them back to worship me on this mountain. And that's what he does. So when he leads them out of Egypt, out of the promised land, he takes them to Mount Sinai. And there they meet God. Heaven and earth meet. God and the children of Israel meet. And then as they're getting ready to leave. Now, if you follow the Bible, you know the first 11 chapters takes a long time. But it's only 11 chapters. And then they slow down. father Abraham but still he lives a long time and they cover Isaac kind of a blip and then they go through Jacob to get to Joseph and then we get to Moses okay so you can see and then the story of Moses you're talking about 400 years in Egypt then you're talking about Moses and you're talking about he goes off in the mountain for 40 years and he comes back sets him out of egypt and when they get to sinai the story again slows down they spend a year at sinai so god establishes a brand new year happy new year you have your normal calendar where they have their first month of the year based on creation based on when noah came out of the ark too no the flood and God starts everything over. They have that secular calendar that they follow. But God makes a religious calendar and starts with Passover as the first month in your religious calendar. Okay? He, he sets them out. and says, this is what you're going to do first. So then they're at Sinai because of the Passover. And then they go to the next Passover. So they're at Sinai this whole time. And God is making a nation out of nothing. Out of a bunch of people that were in Egypt and Moses. And he forms these people into a great nation. And they're at Sinai. But when they leave, he says, I want to go with you. And so if you go to the very end of Exodus, God is telling Moses that I want you to build a sanctuary for me. A sacred space that will travel with you. And that's the tabernacle that we talked about. I'd show you all kinds of pictures, but we need a line ran so that we don't have this problem anymore. Otherwise, I wanted to use my laptop. But that was the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Okay? And then we have the temple, Solomon's temple, where he, because of David, remember we discussed this already, we went through all this. We went through the fact that David brought the ark into Jerusalem. Remember I talked about that? We went through that David brought the ark into Jerusalem. David did everything he wanted to. Okay. He did everything he possibly could do to build that temple. But God said no. So he did it all. He got everything arranged. But then Solomon had to actually do it. Because God said no. Your son needs to do it. Okay. So we have Solomon's temple. This is review from Sunday. Then that temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in the time of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And they build a second temple known as the second temple that Herod remodels in the time of Christ. And I showed you that temple on Sunday when this thing worked. I showed you that temple on Sunday. Showed you so many pictures and photos of the temple. Rose couldn't get enough of it. She's like, oh, I want more of this. Maybe that's why this is not working tonight, so I can save the pictures that I have tonight for Rose. She really enjoyed seeing the temple. But that's a remodel. That is the second temple. So those are sacred spaces in your Bible. Because God says, I'm going to come down. And the idea of the temple, the idea of the sanctuary, the idea of the ark was... The ark is God's footstool, but the earth is also his footstool. That's what the Bible teaches. The earth is his footstool. So when God is sitting enthroned, his feet touch down on the ark. Because they kept the covenants, they kept the agreements, all right there underneath the throne room. The ancient kings would keep their covenants right there, that they sat on top of them, saying, I will rule based on these covenants and of course we know in the ark is the covenant it's called the ark of the covenant they kept the covenant there god's promises to us to his children that we get the big 10 words it's actually 10 words that's the hebrew it's not the 10 commandments that's what we call it but it's just decalogue it's it's 10 words the 10 words okay so that's your sanctuaries But there are other sanctuaries because there's other sacred spaces, not necessarily sanctuaries, but sacred spaces in the Bible, whether they be shrines or temples, even one's body. We talked about that Sunday for Sunday school. How many temples are in the Bible? Does anybody remember? Where's Jim? Three. You got it. Hallelujah. And who? What? Where is the third temple? Yeah, you got it. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Okay. So one's body. Yes. And then we talk about there's high places. The Old Testament talks a lot about high places. And we talked about those in our ascent series. we were talking about making this ascent toward Easter. But there's high places. Why did people worship God up there? Well, you got to think. If you're looking out across the skies, now around here you don't see much, (laughs) but in Kathmandu, everywhere you look, there's a mountain. You just look in any direction, pretty much you can see a mountain somewhere. There's tons of them, everywhere. Okay? We talked about I going to the Colorado, Rocky Mountains, you remember that? You see the mountains. So off in the distance you see where heaven and earth touch. And the ancient people thought that that's only where the gods can live. Like Mount Everest, who can live there? Well, now today somebody can go travel shortly there, a short time. It takes a long time. They're getting better at it, but they have to have oxygen, they have to have all kinds of equipment. But the ancients thought only gods would live up there because they would see the mountain, they would see the clouds. I would have the pictures up here for you, but... They would see the clouds, and they would see the mountain, and they would see that gods were up there. Mount Olympus from the Greeks, that's how ancient people thought. That's how ancient people thought. Psalm 104 talks about the water cycle, how we get water from the rain, but we also get water from the mountain because the tributaries flow down and provide water in the valley. And that's where life comes from in the desert, in the wilderness, okay? Okay. So you have, they worship the gods in the high places because they thought they were closer to God on the mountain. There's a famous uh, Bollywood picture. Bollywood is the Indian version of Hollywood. Okay, and they produce lots of pictures. And they have a famous uh, movie that one of their actors made of a guy that is an alien that comes down and he's trying to understand religion. And in India, you've got the Hindu religion, the Buddhist, and you've got the Islam, and you've got Christianity. And he's trying to figure all this out. And there was this televangelist for the Hindu religion that he came across. And he was trying to ask the guy in in the midst of all, with all the cameras on, why is it that you say that you have to go off to some faraway place, to some high, holy mountain? Because there was a man there that stood up and had a prayer request, just like we talked about. I mean, Bryce. That's something, right? Six-year-old? Stroke? That's something. He had the same thing. He had an honest-to-goodness prayer request, and that shaman was saying, you have to climb to some sanctuary up on some remote mountain. And the alien's like, why do you have to do that? if you can talk to God, why can't you just do it right now? Why can't you just do it right now? But the ancient people thought these high places were where they could get closer to God. I mean, Jesus has the Mount of Transfiguration. We talked a lot about that when we are doing Easter, a little bit about it during Christmas. So they're up on these mountains, okay? They're up these mountains. So mountains are sacred places. This is really going to throw you off really going to throw you off. I told you this before. Do you know how Ezekiel describes Eden? Maybe we can go there. Let's just do that. Eden. I, I keep confusing you in the Garden of Eden. You just get confused all the time. Yeah. They're not in your Bible. I get in trouble all the time. Cause they you know what? My wife speaks Nepali. It's an ancient language. Do you know what the Nepali word for dinosaur is? I told you that, but you forgot. Do you know? You weren't listening when I told her. I'm not talking. I'm talking to mom and dad. No, this—it's it's their daughter-in-law. They, it's their, you know, their grandchildren. What's the Nepali word for dinosaur? You know. Dinosaur. The Nepali word for dinosaur is dinosaur. They didn't know about dinosaurs. They never talked about dinosaurs. Some guy showed up named Charles Darwin and started talking about them and they're like, okay. It's a, the word's only a couple hundred years old. They're, 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 they're ancient people with an ancient religion, and ancient language. They don't know anything about dinosaurs. So, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28. This is talking about uh, the serpent that we've been talking about, Satan. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13. Yeah, I know, I don't have. Verse 13, Ezekiel 28, 13. Thou hast been in Eden, what? The garden of God. Now, Eden is sacred space. Why? Because God came down. So God came down, so God is in Eden, and Adam and Eve meet with God in Eden. So it's sacred space. Right? It's sacred space. Alright? Holy ground. Alright? But it's a garden. Why a garden? We have to pause here because I've got to grab the garden, which is next, so I can get back to your mountain. Because that's where life is. All life comes from God. Wherever God shows up, life just happens. Wherever Jesus shows up, miracles take place. When Jesus comes to the funeral, we don't have a funeral anymore. What do you guys call it after the funeral? At the church I work at, they call it a repast. The, the little meal they have after the funeral, the fellowship dinner. They call it a repast. I guess that's a military term. They're all military. I'm, I'm over there by the Air Force. A funeral dinner. Okay. Okay. When Jesus shows up, it's no longer a funeral dinner. They eat and party, but the people are alive. Why? Because when God shows up, there's life. So there's always a garden. There's always gardens because it's life. Think about it. They're over there in the Middle East, the deserts. And wherever they run across an oasis, that's a garden. That's life. The animals are there. Why? Because there's no water for how many miles? So that's the only place you're going to find animals. That's the only place you're going to find any kind of vegetation. Why? Because apparently God touched down there because God is the source of all life. So when Abraham is traveling and he's going from this place to that place, you always see, why does God take time out in His Word to always tell you whenever God and Abraham meet, there's always a tree involved? Life. I'm trying to get you to think like... An ancient Israelite would think so that you can understand this better because it was written to them. It's written for us, but it's written to them. So wherever there's life, where there's a tree, he's in an oasis. Why? And God meets in there. Why? Because there's life there. That's where you would find the places for God. So it's a garden. Obviously, where God is, there should be life popping out of the ground. We're in Ezekiel 28, verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the ox, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets, and the pipes was prepared in the day that thou art created. Verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast cast upon the holy mountain of God. There it is. Describing he's cast out. Now John Milton uh, Rini, what did you teach? I can't remember. Didn't you teach in the school system? No, I'm a secretary. Secretary, okay. I knew you were involved in the school. I didn't know if we had any English teachers here. English teachers, but John Milton gave us the idea of this rebellion in heaven and Satan and the fallen third of the angels taken Revelation 11. But this is talking about when God cast Satan out of Eden. Because we're, we're in Eden. Thou wast in Eden. Verse 13. Thou wast in Eden. And thou wast upon the holy mountain. Same place. It's tying Eden to a mountain. Why? Because they see mountains as where God is. Now they're not trying to describe an actual location On earth, that you can get the longitude and latitude on and plug into your GPS and get your boat to go right to the location where all the fish are at. Can't use a fish locator to find this place. They're not trying to describe a geographical location. What they're trying to describe is that it's a garden because life is there, but it's a mountain because we're God and heaven and earth meet. Eden is a mountain. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. That was all talked about. Where he went from, just like Jacob in Genesis 28, we talked about that too, the the stairway to heaven. Jacob saw the angels ascending and descending. There's a connection point between Eden on earth and heaven. That same connection point is God's sit upon his throne in heaven, but his feet come down in the temple. In other words, when you got into that most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant was, inside the sanctuary, you were in the throne room of God. You were in the very throne room of God. We talked about Isaiah 6, Isaiah in the throne room. We talked about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. I'm just reminding you of all the things that we've talked about. Yeah, we talked about a lot, didn't we? Paul says, I went to the third heaven. We have earth. We have that which below, Sheol, we have the heavens or the skies in outer space. But then we have the third realm, the realm of God, that you just can't look up and see unless you're Stephen. And God opens up the heavens and you see it. Okay? So that's what we're talking about here. Sacred spaces. Wherever there is life, there is God. And there's where they would worship God in these sacred spaces. Tied to gardens, oases in the desert. Oases. Mountains, trees, trees, water, anywhere, wherever life exudes to show life from the dead. Okay, now one of the things that they tied the ancients to was the idea like Pharaoh. Okay, I love Pharaoh. Let me see what you're going to do with this one. I don't know what you're going to do with this one, Sherwin. Ah, there it is, verse 16. Okay, we're in Exodus chapter 4 verse 16. Gives you time to get there. I've told I go too fast. Am I going too fast? Anyway. Oh, speak too fast. Exodus 4:16. This is God speaking to Moses about his brother Aaron, and he Aaron shall be thy Moses's spokesman unto the people. And he, Aaron, shall even he, Aaron, be unto thee, Moses, instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. Exodus four sixteen. He says that Aaron's going to be your prophet, and you're going to speak as if you're God. Why does it say that? Because they're talking about in the context of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was understood to be God. Pharaoh was God on the earth. Pharaoh was God. Okay. Pharaoh was God. According to their understanding. And there was a a catch between God and his man. So in the ancient mind, Pharaoh was sought to be the God. And this is my chosen person, the king, the leader. God's man. So if I am God and life comes from me and it goes through Pharaoh, then Pharaoh is going to have palace and he's going to have gardens and he's going to have life flowing out and he's going to have all these baths and he's going to have this beautiful luxurious palace because anybody that goes to him can see that God has blessed him so much. And even you see this to the extent that when David, I told you, set up on Sunday, we talked about this. When David set up his palace, he's like, how can God be in a tent? And I have this luxurious palace. I want to build God a house. And of course, Nathan says, you can do that. And then Nathan comes back and says, wait a minute. God told me in a vision, you cannot do this. And then he prophesies to David saying, hey, can, you know, is it possible that you could actually try to house God in a building? No. But the idea was is because the king, David, is God's man representing God to the people, that out of David comes life. Therefore, palaces always had gardens attached to them because it represented the life. And people would come to the palaces like in Esther and eat banquets. And we're still doing that today, right? Baptist? You come to church so you can eat. Why? Because there's life here. There's life here. So you come to church because you need help or you need life because of the death that you're experiencing. And so you come to represent. And so kings would think of themselves as, well, I'm God's blessed man. God has chosen me because I'm king. And that's what they would try to depict. And God, when they ask, you know, Samuel's like, they want a king. Well, give them one we want to be just like everybody else and they got Saul but really God turned it around and said no I'm going to give him David that was my plan from the beginning they had their plan Saul I had my plan David but David is God's man and from David he's supposed to lead them in battle he's supposed to be God in battle he's supposed to give them the victory over the giants over all these things that go on with David as God's man but out of David is supposed to come this life so David has this palace with this garden because he's got all this life Okay, and it's tied to the water. As I said in Psalm 104, you have the water cycle where the water comes down. Okay? So you have these ideas. Okay? So let's go to Exodus 25:8. Which is where I wanted to go before. But I'm going to show you a lot of pictures and then take you here. Exodus 25.8 This is the command to build. Moses, I need you to build mount, a portable Mount Sinai. A portable mountain. A portable place that will carry. Okay? Exodus 25 verse 8 And let them make us me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. The whole purpose of building the sacred space, the tent, the tent of meeting was to meet with God. Exodus 25, 8. Okay. And then verse 40. Verse 40, the last verse of Exodus 25. And look that thou make them after their pattern what was showed thee in the mount. This verse 40 is describing that when Moses went up to get the 10 words. The 10 words. Okay. The 10 commandments and all the other stuff. That God showed him a vision of heaven. The Jews actually believe that Moses actually went to heaven. That's what they believe. Some of the writings. That Moses actually went to heaven. and met with God. That's why he didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't have to. Because when you're with God, you don't die. You don't have to eat. Okay? So he doesn't need to eat or drink for 40 days and 40 nights because he's with God. His life is coming directly from God as the source of life. He says, now you're up here. Now I want you to go down and everything you see, I want you to build the exact same thing down on the earth. And we call it the sanctuary. We call it the tabernacle. We call it the tent of meeting. And so that's what they construct. And so from chapter 25, they're going to go through this and <clears throat> count the pages in Exodus of how many pages are burnt, how many chapters, and they do it twice to describe this to you, to let you know how important this is. Okay? All of this discussion, first, This is what I want you to build. And then we repeat it and go back through and say the same thing when they build it. And we build it and they repeat. In other words, the Holy Ghost is wanting you to know this is important because He goes over twice. This is important. But it's going to be after the pattern of that which is above. Okay? So that's what we have with all this temple and sacred spaces is trying to model what's up there. Now, how does that apply in the New Testament? I'm just going to give you one verse as we close out tonight. Matthew 6.10. I keep bringing this verse up to you. Matthew 6.10. Now, this would have been easier if we had the slides to help point all this out for you. Matthew 6.10. We pray this all the time. this is why I want you to understand the setup to this verse. Matthew 6.10, the Lord's Prayer. Actually, it's our prayer. (laughs) Because Jesus really doesn't need to pray this because He doesn't need to ask for His sins to be forgiven, does He? (laughs) But anyway, the disciples ask Him to teach Him how to pray, so He teaches them how to pray. And in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Verse 10, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, in earth, as it is in heaven. Why did I spend so much time in Lent to talk to you to take you through this ascent language? Because of Matthew 6:10 Jesus is inviting us to be with him. Yes, we're all going to die or the rapture is going to happen and everybody's going to be with him, right? That's what you understand, correct? But I'm saying That there was connectivity, even in the Old Testament, between earth and heaven. Why did Jesus spend so much time in prayer alone? And most of the time he went up somewhere. He went up. Jesus. We always talk about how they're singing in heaven and they're worshiping. But we don't think about what Jesus is always doing. Since the time he ascended until now and even until he comes, what has Jesus been doing? I keep asking this question, so maybe you'll get it. What is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for us. You got it. See, I keep bringing it around. You'll get it eventually. I'll ask you 10, 12 times till you get it. He's prayer. Even now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. That's how important prayer is that's how important this connectivity is that he's the head and the head is at the right hand of the father and the head is praying and we're the body and all the time jesus is saying i gotta go off and pray it's amazing they do a good job have you seen the chosen that's that tv show they came out with what have you noticed that all the time where's jesus The the whole thing is like three seasons of television. They're coming out in season four about Jesus. And all the time there's no Jesus. And you get to see the disciples going around going, what do we do? We don't know what we're doing. And then I look in the mirror and go, what are we doing? We don't know what we're doing. (laughs) Where's Jesus? Right, Ed? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Because he's all praying. If Jesus had to pray so much, and if you put it in the Lord's Prayer that there's a connection between heaven and earth. If chapters and chapters of your Bible repeat it, going, not only do we go through it once, we repeat it and go through it again. Or on this sanctuary. It must be important that there's a connection between heaven and earth that we must Try to be sensitive of. My wife is obviously struggling. It's hard. How many months? And months is turning into a year. And she's trying to understand. And I'm trying to get her to understand. To connect to heaven. When earth fails you. To be connected in prayer. To be connected to the Lord that he's got something else in mind that he's doing. For whatever reason, I don't understand it. You know, one day we'll know everything. Paul says we only know in part. We don't understand it all. But heaven does. And it's our connection point to heaven. Sacred spaces are where heaven and earth meet. That's why we build churches... We call them holy ground because where you're supposed to meet God. Jim's in a problem. He's coming here. For whatever reason, but he's come here. He's come here because God is here. And I'm not sure exactly what answer he wants at the moment. I know the answers I want (laughs) for the moment. We all know what Ed wants. (laughs) Game over! No more quarters! This is the last quarter and it's finished. And no more overtime. <laughs> he wants heaven. Why do you want heaven so much? Because there's so much of our Bible that talks about it. He
1: said he's coming
0: back. Yes. Exactly. And he gave us all the things to look for. And it's all And it's all to focus on heaven, such that we have this tabernacle, this, like I said, I can't believe it, page after page of your Bible, and everybody goes, I was going to show you the slides, it's really pretty, I'll show you. What all this stuff is? I just wanted to show you what the stuff is, and see if God lets me to teach into what it all is. What what do they use it for? Why Why is it there? Most of the people don't understand the Bible, they don't understand what all these pages are there for. They're there for a reason. And this really intrigues me because as a biblical scholar, not only does he tell us once about this, but he has to stop, back it up, and tell us again. To me, that's like God underlining, highlighting, bold printing. Hello, this is a Because you didn't get it the first time. I'm going to give it to you again. Heaven on earth. If we figure out something about that sacred space, about that sanctuary, and then we have a temple, and then we have a second temple, I have a feeling we might begin to understand the third temple. And that's what I'm after. That God wants to use us to connect people like Jim to heaven. That's what it's about. People need to taste and see that God is good. And they need to see the goodness of God. Despite the fact that this Bible says they're waxing worse and worse. Of course they are. But I keep telling you, read the rest of the verse. That means we get to shine brighter. Doesn't matter how much light you have, even the smallest light, the darker it gets, that light is going to be bright. That's what God's after. And I'm trying to get you to understand that. And I'm trying to process it myself. And I'm trying to break it down so you can understand it. And I think I blew past the missionary letter night. Because of technical difficulty. We would have been done a long time ago if I just had the slides, I'd have been done. But you didn't answer all my questions right. But she answered a lot more. The only, she's the only one that answer the ones the other ones. So just remember. God wants us to experience some of heaven now. Despite all that we're facing. And it's all built into those chapters that no one reads. And the book of Leviticus that no one understands. And if you would understand, it would blow your mind away. Because it's, it goes in the details. And like, what are all those details for? They're telling us something very important. About our mission. About who we are as God's kings and priests. As God's holy people in this unholy world. And what he wants us to do. And all those verses in the New Testament are going back to those verses. And we don't even know it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we are the third temple. Whether or not they build another temple in Israel, hallelujah. You know. And if that's your will, hallelujah. They can. They don't have to. I don't know. That's, not, that's above my pay grade. But I do know that when I read your word, I only see those three temples. The first one that Solomon built, the second one that Herod remodeled in the days of Jesus that was destroyed in 70 A.D., But Paul said we are the temple. We are sacred. You call this the apple of your eye. Us. We are sacred to you so much that you're willing to do everything on the cross. For us. That's how sacred and precious we are to you. I pray that we understand sacred spaces. Because we house the Holy Ghost. We are sacred. I I hope that we will understand this. And I pray that you would help me by your spirit to explain these things more clearly. In the days ahead. Until you come. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this broadcast. You can find out more about us at DKIN.com dot cc that's d k e n dot cc we look forward to seeing you next time god bless you